You are listening to 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is a broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. The current measures are based on fear. In Psychedelia, and we're on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Coming to you from the 3CR studios in Fitzroy, uh, just uh, on the uh, outskirts of the Melbourne CBD in Victoria, Australia. Thank you very much to Freedom of Species, the program that you heard before us. If you are listening live on 3CR, uh, you can find out more about them at the 3CR website, which is also the place where you can go and subscribe uh, to podcasts and find social media accounts for many of the shows uh, that you hear on 3CR. It's a good way to keep connected to the shows. And if there's an issue that you're passionate about, it's also a way to get involved uh, because many of the shows uh, here on 3CR, uh, uh, well, all of the shows are driven by passionate volunteers. And, and many of us uh, uh, are people that work in the areas that we're talking about, uh, that, that know about what, what's sort of going on behind the scenes. Um, and we want to share that with you and help you to get involved, especially if it's something that you're passionate about. Um and you want to get involved, um, but I mean, the best way to get involved is just to listen, because then at least you're informed. And that's, I think, the first step to being involved and to um, being able to make more informed decisions and engage more uh, with society more broadly. My name's Nick, and on the program, on this program, we talk about drugs. That's what we talk about. Because it's not something that's talked about well in the mainstream media. Um, it's a topic uh, that's subject to a lot of taboo, a lot of stigma. Um, there's a lot of things um, that even we have to be careful uh, to uh, careful about when we're talking about this topic. Uh, even the Broadcasting Services Act and uh, most uh, radio stations, TV stations and newspapers have community standards which uh, say that you must not be promoting drug use. And we're never promoting drug use on this program. That's not what we're about. What we do promote is knowledge and information and the sharing of that. Um, But some people interpret that as promotion of drug use. And this is part of the problem because it makes it difficult to have the conversation if the conversation itself is considered promotion. Um, So I just wanted to sort of mention that because I think that actually might be one of the things that holds back some mainstream sources uh, from talking more honestly and openly about it. Because I know that there are people out there, um, certainly people in the mainstream media who do take drugs. Uh, I can't name any names off the uh, top of my head, but I'm sure you've heard them, uh, heard of them every now and then. There'll be somebody that comes out and speaks about their cannabis use or the use of psychedelics or their previous addiction or their current addiction or whatever it happens to be. Drug use is throughout all of society. It's not just something uh, that people of a certain background or socioeconomic status or whatever do. It is throughout all of society. So it's important that we have these open and honest discussions and share this information. You can subscribe to this uh, program, um, to the podcast at the 3CR website or via iTunes or Spotify. Uh, And you can also find us on uh, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel where we put up some of the interviews and some of the content that you hear on the program. You won't hear it all. You definitely need to listen in on 3CR or find the uh, podcast uh, to be able to get everything. Uh, Also find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we are going to be talking a little bit um, about the news with uh, Jack Ravel from Drugs Rap. Um, also, Ash Blackwell, our uh, co-host, who has been very busy because he uh, works in a position um, where coronavirus has kept him very busy uh, over the past uh, six months or so. But also um, Dr. Stephen Bright from AOD Media Watch. So we're going to be drilling down into some news uh, over the past week uh, shortly. But I wanted to start the program today with something to lift your spirits up because Melbourne needs its spirits lifted up. My gosh, it's been um, another cold and rainy week after we had that sunshine uh, as well just a, just a couple of weeks ago. But that's spring i kind of don't mind the rain but it's just hard because we're all inside at the moment and you know i've been really enjoying sitting in the backyard on on warmer days so let's get a little bit hyped up opu uh hails from new zealand but you know we we like to steal the Kiwis for ourselves. He's certainly um, uh, got real boosts in his career by performing uh, here in Melbourne um, and at some of the um, big festivals around Melbourne, like Rainbow Serpent uh, Festival. Uh, I think he's been at, jeez, uh, oh, a lot of them, like Str- Strawberry Fields Festival. I won't go listing off every festival, but lots of festivals. Um, and this uh, came out fairly recently because all, uh, all the producers have been making things uh, just really hurt them um, 
being locked inside to make things, it's just really difficult to perform things. So, music time. This is OPU, this is Higher. It's Eric Benny Bloom on In Psychedelia. podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. 
We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. we our right of telling the truth and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people, and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, 10am every Monday morning on Community Radio 3CR. Also live streaming on the web and weekly podcasts at 3cr.org.au. So listen in for the very latest bicycle stories, news and views from Melbourne and around the cycling universe. Listen in. You're listening to 3CR. We really are in unprecedented times and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community. At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalised and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period. But things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe and be kind to each other. To start us off on the show this afternoon, we're going to take a look um, at... Some issues, uh, first we'll go around the world, but then we're going to be focusing on two issues that we've been following uh, a lot over the past five years of In Psychedelia on 3CR. But before we do that, um, I'd like to introduce uh, everybody who's with us uh, today on the uh, on the Zoom call and on your radio, uh, Ash Blackwell. Ash, good to see you. Yep, I uh, haven't been around it much, uh, much lately. It's um, been a pretty weird time. Uh, state politics in Victoria has been... Um, Intense. <laughs> yes, I, um, I, I, I don't envy anybody who's working in uh, public service or politics at the moment. It's, um, it must be hard. Um, and yeah, I'll leave it at that because it's a big discussion, but we've got other big discussions to get to. Uh, Jack Ravel, who is the editor of Drugs Rap, it's a weekly newsletter uh, covering drug issues from across Australia and around the world. Uh, if you want to subscribe to it, drugsrap.substack.com is the uh, is the place to go. Jack, welcome. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me again. Always good to be here chatting to you, talking about all the news. How is life in Sydney? <laughs> Pretty good. It's, uh, well, we've been out having some good weather this week and I've been out and about. I actually went surfing for the first time in a few months, um, which was great, but it was bloody freezing, I'll tell you what. So I'm probably uh, probably looking to, to get a bit more in the water, but definitely get a wetsuit on. And you'll find a kindred spirit with your love of um, surfing and um, other other uh, other sports with uh, Dr. Stephen Bright, who is from AOD Media Watch, aodmediawatch.com.au. Steve, how are you going? I'm very well, thanks, Nick. And you're over in uh, in, in Perth. Have you been out uh, surfing? And uh, I, I just saw some uh, stats today saying uh, WA Perthians. I don't know what the what the word for you is, but uh, Perth people are the happiest Australians in Australia at the moment. I, I could probably con- confirm that. Um, I, I'm currently living in the country of the state what 
that was formerly called Western Australia is we've got a hard border lockdown and things are very different here to the rest of the country in terms of our economy and you know I'm, I'm teaching at university I'm, I'm teaching classes as per usual um, we've really sort of gone back to to normal quite quickly and in terms of uh, my water experiences lately um, I had a bit of an existential crisis about two weeks ago when I had to decide between saving my life or three or four thousand dollars worth of kite surfing equipment decided I'd save my life good choice um, well done Stephen on making the uh, the choice that allows you to go kite surfing even more in the future if you play your heights right um so let's what we're going to do is we're going to do it back to front today we're going to go international first we're going to have a look at the news uh drug news from around the world um because the two local issues uh as i said earlier are things that we um uh, want to get a little bit more uh stuck into so jack uh heading first uh to ann arbor ann arbor okay's move okay's or is that like ann arbor is in oklahoma i don't know moves to decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms uh, comma plants. Tell us about this. What's going on in Ann Arbor? Yeah, a bit of an odd headline there, I think. Ann Arbor is a small city to the west of Detroit, uh, which is in Michigan in the US. Um, it's now become the third city in the US to decriminalize psychedelic plants or you know naturally occurring psychedelics um so that would include things like um ayahuasca uh, mescaline from peyote and um, magic mushrooms of course they voted unanimously the city council there has voted for this resolution that would make enforcing the prohibition of you know the manufacture and sale and possession and use of those naturally occurring psychedelics a really low priority for the police basically the lowest priority so effectively if you are you know using possessing selling those drugs in 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 ann arbor you you won't probably be um, prosecuted for that and it said that they were actually swayed the city council there was swayed by um the activist group decriminalized nature who had been lobbying the ann arbor city council and they said actually the the arguments around the benefits of those substances for mental health treatment are the ones that really got them and and the councillors there came out and said actually we we think these substances probably have really good potential in the future of medicine um, it's also a good example of um, when, when people say defund the police, um, this is actually a good example of, of, of that kind of thing in action because it's not actually defunding the police. It's saying, hey, use your resources on different crimes and, and this is your very lowest priority. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's not, uh, not legalisation by any means, um, but it, it does redirect resources to things that we might uh, all be able to consider uh, more worthy of police's time. Uh, heading to hightimes.com, Congress delays vote on more act. Right, so the MORE Act, which is the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, is something that's been <clears throat> moving into into the House of Congress for a long time. For the last few months, um, they've been looking to pass a vote which would essentially mean that people who have been convicted of ca uh, cannabis-related offences would have their criminal record expunged. Um, basically, they wouldn't, that wouldn't be on their record anymore, which would allow them, you know, people to get jobs a bit easier and, and do a lot of other things, which in the US is quite hard to do if you have that criminal record. Um, this is a bill that was supposed to be debated next week, um, but the Democratic party the sort of moderates in that party have said actually we think it'd be better to focus on covid you know pandemic issues right now and we're going to push that back to later in the year so that's something that a lot of people in the drug policy space are obviously a bit upset about a bit frustrated um drug policy alliance put out a statement in which they said that essentially this would just continue to allow um communities of color and low-income people who are disproportionately affected by law enforcement relating to cannabis to you know continue to suffer in this regard and, and they're quite frustrated about that uh, to the global wires now, uh, Reuters uh, are Reuters.com. Pompeo hails Colombia's stance on Maduro, uh, pledges more help in drugs fight. Right, so this is a bit more of sort of an international um, international relations kind of issue here, um, which is something I always kind of like talking about. Um, basically, Mike Pompeo, who's a U.S. Secretary of State, he's on a tour around South America right now, kind of drumming up support for the... Um, interim Venezuelan president Juan Guaido um, obviously a lot of controversy around that and Nicolas Maduro who's the current Venezuelan president um, has been accused of a lot of you know horrendous things the UN have come out and said that you know he's um, 
been at the heart of these kind of like torture and you know oppressive things going on um and the u.s government is really trying to kick him out Obviously, there's a bit of controversy around that as well. Um, but what the U.S. government has said is, hey, if Colombia continues to pledge support against Venezuela, we will continue to help them fight the war on drugs in Colombia. Um, and the president of Colombia um, has come out and said that they're going to start destroying even more hectares of, of coca leaf um, in their in their country. They're even thinking about bringing in glyphos- glyphosate, um, which is a herbicide, and they could drop that from the air to destroy all these crops and it's a really complex issue because the coca leaf production um it supports a lot of very poor farmers in in those regions and areas and you know again it also you know is fun funding the FARC military group who are kind of not actively at war with the Colombian government but they are still kind of active around um those areas so it's kind of a big international politics issue which which I think is always kind of interesting to look at from a you know broader perspective yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a, a global war on drugs. Um, that's important for us to remember. And uh, things that happen in local markets are affected by what's going on um, everywhere else in the world. Uh, Mike.com, psychedelics research is overwhelmingly white. And that's a really big problem. Yeah, this was a story that I saw, which is it's it's um, it's an opinion piece, but it's also supported by a meta-analysis of psychedelic studies, which has been undertaken in the US, which has shown that the total number of participants um, in those psychedelic research studies, um, I think from the 90s to 2017, um, 82.3% of those people were white. So it's kind of making this argument that actually by not including, um, you know, black minority groups in in studies and research um you're probably going to end up with a, with a bit of this cultural bias and also you know black people in america have also had a long history of kind of medical mistreatment there's reasons why they would be maybe scared of the medical industry and particularly like around psychology and things like that um you know and also then there's the drug enforcement issue as well and it's just kind of bringing bringing to light this idea that you know it psychedelic research right now is is a very homogenized kind of research um field and you know that could potentially be like a long-term problem and and probably it's something that we need to look at if you want to read any more of these articles do subscribe to drugswrap.substack.com where you will get a weekly update on news from australia and around the world from jack you're listening to 3cr community radio melbourne's voice of dissent 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. We've got our two local stories. Uh, Let's get first uh, to The Age, uh, where this week um, the the coroner has uh, released some findings on uh, something that happened in, I think it was 2017. Uh, Five young men died from rare synthetic drug cocktail, uh, coroner told, that's the headline. Um, And we're also going to have, uh, well, well, let's, what's the story first, Jack? Right, so this story is something that's uh, happened in 2017. The coronial inquest right now is ongoing and they have heard that basically there was a whole range of people uh, January 2017 or around that time who had taken uh, a drug which they assumed was MDMA um, and five people died from from taking this. Um, The police at the time, it was leaked that they knew pretty early on what was in those drugs that were that were causing issues and they didn't really inform the public which is something that you see in you know places like holland where if there's a bad batch of you know cocaine or heroin or something going around the police are very quick to put up notices and signs everywhere that say hey you should be aware of this um you know so that sparked a lot of debate at the time and the coronial inquest has heard that actually the chemical that um these people uh, overdosed on was a these kind of rare research chemicals um, one was 25 NBOME and 4-fluoroamphetamine so these are kind of weird drugs that the, the police don't really know much about but they didn't really come out and tell people about it 
So this was um, something that uh, went on and we reported on uh, at the time uh, that it happened. Um, AOD Media Watch uh, as well uh, had a story why reporters shouldn't speculate on the cause of drug-related incidents and how pill testing can help. Uh, Vice also had an article uh, with uh, a a leaked police memo um, which basically said that they had this info um, and uh, they hadn't released it and you know it's possible that that information could have helped. Uh, Stephen, um, at the the time uh, you you had the story, I mean give us a little bit of um, more insight. What, what, What went on here? Yeah, so, you know, the news broke that there were a number of deaths in Chapel Street in Melbourne and many more people hospitalised on a single night. my colleague, Dr. Monica Barrett, was able to obtain a sample of the what we thought was the drug that was going around at the time. It was spent. It was sent to uh, Spain to energy control for analysis, where they identified that it was 25 cm bone with four fluoroamphetamine, along with a little bit of MDMA. And so we quickly put up a post on Blue Light, warning people about the contents of what's going around, and also some harm reduction information. So. For example, we suggested that people, if they are going to ingest this drug, and firstly that they reagent test it, uh, because there, there was evidence even back then that uh, that there was uh, the 25 cm bone would, would lead to a colometric reaction on a number of different reagent tests. And we also provided harm reduction advice on blue light about people taking the drug orally because embome has uh, more significant bioavailability when encephalated or snorted compared to when it's taken orally. And we suspected that a number of people had, who had, had died may have cracked the capsules open and snorted the materials and that might have led to them going into an overdose situation. Uh, so it was around the time that, that we were collecting this information, uh, the Media Watch published a story, and at the same time, an anonymous source leaked uh, the memo that was being passed around Victoria Police, which confirmed that they also knew that that's what was in it. And originally, AOD Media Watch leaked that memo on the story. We were concerned about the legal implications of doing that. And fortunately, Vice picked up the piece and now it's uh, safely hosted on the Vice webpage, uh, that, that memo from Victoria Police, where it clearly indicated very soon after the incident they knew exactly what was in it, but they weren't willing to put out information to the public, such as the harm reduction information that we were providing um, to try to reduce these incidences. Uh, look, not long after that, there was a, there was a festival uh, in Victoria and um, I, was, I was attending to, to give a few talks and provide harm reduction services at the festival and I was camped there with Dr. Monica Barrett and and a bunch of other drug nerds and we brought a bunch of reagent testing equipment with us uh, just because we were curious. You know, people were coming by every half an hour and saying, do you want to buy some drugs? We'd say, well, maybe, can we test it first? And for the first 24 hours, everything was just coming up MDMA or, um, you know, whatever it was that people were allegedly selling. Then we identified PMA, which has got a long history of being uh, a, a contaminant, which has led to numerous fatalities, ecstasy-related fatalities in Australia. So we contacted uh, the emergency controller there, who was ex-law enforcement, and basically told us, uh, in collaboration with other people that were at that meeting from different agencies, to just start, uh, just start pill testing or drug checking at this festival. Don't be too public about it. Just get word of mouth out. And, um, you know, very, very quickly, uh, a number of, you know, and, and I'm not quite sure where Ash, Ash, where you came into the picture on this, um, but, you know, we all, we all sort of came together and um, there was this mass uh, unsanctioned drug checking that, that took place. I think one of the issues we had, just going back into, going back, back into my, my mind back there in 2017 was we didn't have the internet and we had debate, we had we had information on, um, you know, various drugs. We were able to identify 25 EM bone. I remember talking to a punter about 20, oh, sorry, uh, we were able to identify two, two CE in one sample. And I remember speaking to someone about what two CE was and they said, well, look, I'm glad I know what 2CE, 2CE is now. It sort of sounds a bit like LSD. I'm glad I didn't go taking that thinking it was MDMA, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on, on, on to it and, uh, and just 
uh, you know, maybe take half a dose or, or, or certainly moderate my use, but at least now I know what I'm, I'm going to be consuming. In addition to that, there was this pattern that was coming up across the different reagents that we couldn't identify, but we kind of suspected, you know, we got together and we all agreed that it's probably that batch that was going around Chapel Street. So we were just telling people, look, we, we can't tell you what's in this. We don't know, but we think it's the stuff from Chapel Street. And most people who were provided that information uh, pretty much just chucked their tablets or their capsules in the bin. And uh, Ash, do you, do you want to elaborate on the story? Yeah, so I'll, I, I'm happy to add to that a little bit. Um, so at the time, people involved in the harm reduction community and, and you know the festival kind of space where these kinds of drugs are used, we were really disappointed at the paucity of information coming from you know, the health departments, the police not sharing that information when they had it available. Um, but through all these back channel networks, including, you know, with Dr. Monica Barrett, who'd managed to get some more information, we had some photos of what the substance looked like. Um, we had a description of, of like how it acted. It was kind of, it was sticky in a way that most other, you know, MDMA and powdered substance don't kind of clump together in a, in, in a similar way. So we, uh, the festival and, and people involved with the festival had put these posters up around warning people. So there was a real sense of like all anxiety at the festival. It was, there was a real possibility of there being a severe medical incident at the festival, knowing that this substance was circulating in the community. Um, so yeah, my involvement, I helped coordinate with a bunch of other people to do, I guess what you would call underground pill testing. And, um, we, I think it was the, the seventh sample, we, we kind of got set up at a camp that um, allowed us to, to kind of host a, a little testing thing there. We got the word out as, as much as we could. And um, I think it was the seventh sample that we tested, you know, straight away as soon as it, it was put on the, the you know, the, the sort of white ceramic plate that you use, straight away it looked kind of dodgy. It looked like the description that we'd seen and when the reagent test was done on it, we couldn't, um, obviously reagent tests are quite limited. They're not like a, you know, they're not like a laboratory equipment where you can accurately identify everything. But it was clear that it wasn't indicating for MDMA. It was giving us what you might describe as a, a weird color reaction with multiple reagents. And so we were able to get that information out and, and you know, encourage the person like, absolutely do not take this. We believe that it's a substance um, responsible for the, the, the fatal uh, incidents on Chapel Street. Go back to your camp, tell everyone that you know also not to take this. And um, yeah, we also got a sample that was also sent to energy control in Spain and verified as being the same substance um, so, you know, like it's, it's hard to know what the outcome would have been without the efforts of, you know, people like yourself and, and Dr. Dr. Barrett, who happened to have a reagent kit around your camp and, and the testing that was done. Um, the, the people that were um, kind of participating in that underground testing also wandered around camps and just kind of wandered in and offered testing to people. And, um, you know, I think that might have picked up another sample or two but um the added value there was that we got to educate people about how simple it is to do this test yourself just a simple check that you can do um you know in conjunction with some basic harm reduction advice and um you know i mean it's hard there's a festival with like you know nearly twenty thousand people and and there's only so much that you can do uh with your limited resources but even then you know, we managed to pick up a few samples and then communicate to those people to spread it back to their networks. I feel like a few positive um, just... things really came from that. One was um, that the festival organisers were on board. There was, and so you can see there was sort of two things happening in synchronicity. So there was some stuff at your camp, we were doing some stuff at our camp, and we ended up 
you know, um, talking to the festival organisers who were very proactive and said, you know, just do this. We, we, we don't care. We know we're, this, we're breaking the law, but we don't want deaths at our festival. Just do it. And so there was there was that. There was also my experience, full disclosure, um, once, once it got to that level of testing where um, the community were doing the testing, you know, we put out the call because I had to say, Look, as a, as a psychologist, I can't be breaking the law, um, but it would be really helpful if the community would be interested in like, breaking the law to potentially save lives. And so many people just put up their hand. And so I was happy to consult and provide um, information and, and education. But I actually, when, when it hit that stage, I wasn't doing any testing myself because I didn't want to break the law. Um, and the other thing, like you said, Ash, the really positive thing was um, you know, despite the arguments, again, made in this age piece that uh, reagent testing is not sophisticated enough to identify these chemicals, we were able to identify them. There was a clear pattern coming through. But more importantly, it wasn't the reagent testing and the technology that was important. It was the fact that it allowed people to engage in a conversation. And it was those conversations that I just felt was so beneficial for the people that we were engaging in, regardless of of what we were talking about it just opened up so many more opportunities to engage with people at the festival as a consequence of what was happening in the background so this was um, September 23rd that the Age uh, published uh, this article, Five Young Men Died from Rare Synthetic Drug Cocktail, uh, Coroner Told. Um, before we move on to the uh, uh, to the next piece, I just want to um, just uh, ask your opinion, Steve, I, I guess, uh, from the AOD Media Watch perspective. Um, it, the entire article doesn't, uh, it, it sort of goes into details about how these men died uh, and sort of provides some very sort of visceral um, um, anecdotes. Uh, and then at the very very, very, very bottom of the article, there is one line that says, it also sparked widespread debate over pill testing. That's it. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, um, there was a uh, forensic toxicologist who claimed uh, that, you know, uh, uh, MPS, uh, which is a non-homogenous uh, category of any substance that is new, uh, so you, you kind of can't make um, uh, statements uh, that, that cover all of that category because it's, it's, it's hundreds of drugs um, that do all sorts of different things, um, but the toxicologist uh, said that, you know, these are very potent drugs. Uh, I'm just wondering what, what could a journalist do in the future uh, to, to maybe approach this in, in a more informed uh, way rather than uh, what, what reads to me kind of almost like a, uh, it's almost kind of like voyeurism at the coroner's court uh, rather than information about this issue. Uh, Look, journalists are in a difficult position here because they're actually bound by limitations on what they're able to report on when it comes to court reporting. Uh, so they are limited in scope in terms of what they can do. However, having participated in the New South Wales coronial inquest, it seems like uh, where, you know, it's not a hard and fast line there. I mean, there was some pretty uh, pretty. Uh, there were there were a lot of claims being made at the New South Wales Coronial Inquiry that went well beyond the evidence that was being provided in court. So I think, uh, you know, while journalists have some constraint around what they are allowed and aren't allowed to report during a court hearing, I think there is also opportunity there to engage in a broader community discussion and engage with people that are not only presenting at the coronial inquest, but experts more generally, given that they're, they're having a, you know, sort of finishing off saying, and this whole thing started a conversation around pill testing, or maybe engage with some of the experts around pill testing to to, to balance out some of the comments that are being made by the toxicologist in the coronial inquest. One of the other really positive things that came from the, uh, you know, the, the identification of this drug and, and you know, what sort so in line with what we saw at the festival with people taking proactive and pragmatic action, uh, not long after the festival, uh, the, the Chapel Street nightclub community got together and, and actually asked for consultation for how to 
provide harm reduction in their nightclubs and Revolver nightclub was was a big part of this and so I worked with uh, Molly O'Reilly who develops uh, some harm reduction information for people at clubs which they put on the back of toilets and things like that which provided people with that really key information like don't snort it use a reagent test if possible we talked about the possibility of handing out reagent tests and they said oh that, that's going to be crossing the line but what we did do is train the staff and how to identify some of the early behavioural signs that somebody might have taken this particular mix and how they could manage that on site through aggressive cooling, taking them to a place where there was a lack of stimulation and basically just check on them. And if things did exacerbate, then call emergency services and get an ambulance. But ideally, they didn't want ambulances turning up at the nightclub. It's not good for business and it's not good for the punters as well, who get charged for an ambulance ride for hospital that's not necessarily required. So I think that was a really positive outcome, you know, in terms of what was happening in 2017 as well. And um, maybe just a, a good uh, analogy for anybody that's listening along or watching along and thinking, oh, that sounds irresponsible. Do you call a police officer every time somebody vomits from drinking alcohol? Because this is sort of the analogy where a lot of people will experience uh, a negative sort of reaction um, to alcohol, but we're not calling an ambulance every time because a lot of the time uh, we can manage it by getting them some water, by getting them hydrated, by getting them some rest. And we don't want to be spending uh, medical resources uh, on something that uh, that could be handled. Uh, so, and this is this is the point of information sharing, of uh, increasing people's knowledge uh, of harm reduction uh, overall. Um, but Ash, uh, just on this. Uh, strange combination of substances it's popped up again recently yeah it's interesting that it's um been in the media uh with this reporting in the age and the coronial inquest um because we haven't we haven't seen much of it for a while and i expect that um one of the reasons for that is the the police did seem to i guess prioritize uh chasing this down you know, whereas, you know, there's always a lot of drugs in the community. It's it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole, which is one of the reasons prohibition doesn't work. But this particular substance caused such a significant impact. Uh, I think they set up a specialist team to, to focus on it. So we, we, we've certainly seen over the last couple of years less of these NBOM uh, substances turning up and, and probably more of a shift towards... Uh, some of the risks being very high potency uh, MDMA being imported from Europe. So, you know, we, we've sort of been saying that on this show for the, the whole time we've been broadcasting that um, we have risks both at the, the low quality end of our market and the high quality end of our market. Um, but this substance, um, Queensland Health uh, issued a drug alert, which um, I, I came across on the Loop Australia's Twitter feed on, um, I think it was about two weeks ago. And um, it's really strange because it's the it's it's exactly the same mix of substances for fluoroamphetamine and 25C NBOM, and um, the picture that they've got looks identical to what we've seen. So, you know, I'm purely speculating here, but um, what I wonder is if that's a leftover kind of batch that somebody's held on to, you know, rather than recreating that failure, somebody's had a stash of this and they're like, all right, let's try and offload it. Um, well, that, and just on that, Ash, my guess. they're probably unloading it at a time when, uh, you know, there, there might be, it might be more difficult to obtain certain drugs at the moment due to, due to COVID. And so they saw this as an opportunity to, to pull out this old batch and try to get rid of it. Even though they knew that it is a dangerous combination, they, there was an opportunity seized here by some unethical entrepreneurial individual to try and get rid of the rest of it. Yeah, and I think the significant change here is that Queensland Health have put out this alert. And so we've yeah. seen this in Queensland and New South Wales, the health departments, you know, have kind of got the okay from um, the government and policymakers and, and whatnot to actually be more proactive in sharing this, um, you know, it's essentially health advice information. It's like if there's a you know, some kind of food poisoning thing or, or any other risk to public health, you would alert the community of that. And um, yeah, and so, you know, I think um, that's, I guess, one of the positive changes that we've seen since the initial incident down on Chapel Street.
You're listening to it in Psychedelia on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital if you happen to be one of those people with a digital radio and can listen to it uh, without the bother of tram tracks. My gosh, do you know, every time somebody goes to say something important and I'm listening to AM Talk Radio, guaranteed to be going under a tram track or under a bridge or something and it's gone. Digital radio, that'll fix that problem. Or you could be watching along on YouTube as well. Uh, speaking with uh, Ash Blackwell, co-host uh, of Psychedelia, also Dr. Stephen Bright from AOD Media Watch, aodmediawatch.com.au and Jack Ravel, drugswrap.substack.com uh, where we're going to our final story, uh, e-cigarettes uh, to become available as prescription only items in Australia from June 2021. This is in The Guardian. Jack, what's going on? Right, so the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the, the TGA, <clears throat> they've announced an interim decision this week to classify nicotine as a prescription-only drug, and that relates to um, e-cigarette liquid, so that's not you know, tobacco that people would just buy normally. Um, I think it also relates to, not, uh, to heat, not burn forms of nicotine or tobacco, which is like, I think, snuff and a couple other ones in there. Basically, what they're saying is that um, you would have to be prescribed an e-cigarette by a doctor and then have that filled at a pharmacy from June 2021. Um, and I think I'm right in saying this, that it's currently totally illegal to purchase or import nicotine, uh, the e-liquid in, in Australia, um, except in South Australia. Um, I think I'll probably be corrected on that if that's if that's wrong. But a lot of people have found ways around that, um, and you know it's pretty prevalent to be able to see people you know smoking these vapes and, and things like that. Um, but I think it's a bit of a grey area, and so I think the TGA are kind of trying to put some regulation down on this, and it's a bit of a controversial decision that they've made because you know it, they're used all over the world to to allow people to come off um, cigarettes and you know stop smoking and. And although we don't know the full, you know, long-term dangers of, of the use, it's it's pretty clear that they're going to be a lot less harmful than, than actually smoking, you know, burning tobacco. So a bit of a weird decision there by, by the TGA. Uh, Ash, let's uh, go to you first because you've spoken with a lot of both consumers and uh, retailers, uh, those involved with the... Uh <laughs> you sugar yeah, yeah. So um, I, I've been... Um since I kind of started to look into this properly uh, around about 2015, 2016, and made my own decision to shift from, you know, all smokable forms of consumption of anything, um, it, it's been quite strange. I think just to clarify, Jack, it, it is illegal everywhere in Australia to sell uh, liquid e-nicotine, uh, it's illegal to import it without a prescription. The, the penalties vary. I think South Australia did have a more loosely regulated market until I think it was 2018. They, they kind of tightened it up and really smashed the industry there. Now they actually have quite strict um, regulations where, you know, they um, people are afraid to export things from other states to South Australia because of that. So this debate... What it comes down to in terms of policy is um, people involved with the industry and public health advocates that support vaping as a harm reduction measure, um, you know, and consumers would prefer it to be regulated as a consumer product, which it kind of is. So the, the TGA involvement, what that means is that they're regulating it as a basically a medical product. And so then it's subject to the, the kind of very strict regulations that the TGA applies to other kinds of medicine. Um, when this was first proposed to come through uh, back in June, there was a massive backlash from the vaping community. You've now got, you know, I, I think hundreds of thousands of people that have shifted to e-cigarettes and vaping, and they credit this with improvements to their health that, you know, they'll... they'll they're like, this has saved my life. I'm 50 years old. I've been smoking a pack a day for, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, this is the only thing that's worked for me. So those people were really passionate about it. They started calling up a bunch of Senate officers and, and all the rest of it. Um, and so the, the Health Minister, Greg Hunt, basically kind of went, oh, whoa, all right, we'll, we'll review it and go a bit slower. And so we've been waiting for the outcome of that 
that review and um, to say that the vaping community and you know pro vaping public health people is disappointed is, is probably an understatement. I mean, we we have the thing about the e-cigarette industry in Australia. There's this narrative that it's driven by the by big tobacco, which it's it's just not. Um, the majority of people involved in the industry were people who they were the early uptakers of vaping. They're the people who switched early, and they were like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! I got to get all my friends onto vaping." And so they started stores. Most of the retail stores are from people who are vapers themselves, who who know the technology really well because they've been using it for quite a long time and they're probably better positioned than people in pharmacies to provide advice around that because it's not just about the the medical side of it there's um if it's going to work for people they need to know how to use the devices you know how do you change a coil how do you fix the juice how do you use it in a way that's like gives you a pleasurable experience that will you know kind of work for you in a way that you can then use it as an alternative to smoking um, the idea that doctors would then fill out hundreds of thousands of prescriptions and then you'd go to pharmacists that know nothing about vaping to, to get a product. And, you know, I'm not even sure if that would mean that you would have e-juices with flavors and stuff in them, which is what most people want. That You know, the flavors are part of the mix of what works for a lot of people. Um so yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's a crazy decision, and there's going to be a, a lot of continuing campaigning against it. Um, Stephen, from a uh, AOD Media Watch dot com dot au perspective as well, um, just looking at this Guardian article, I'm seeing uh, two main people uh, quoted in there, which is the CEO of the Council uh, on um, Smoking uh, Australia, yeah, Australian Council on Smoking and Health, uh, and also somebody who's a uh, lung researcher. Um, so these are the two people uh, that are quoted. But maybe if you want to talk um, even more broadly about um, the, the kind of a te- the kind of media that has been going on uh, around uh, vaping because there's a bit of a theme, I think. Yeah, well, as, as a consequence of the TGA decision, there has been a lot of media on this issue and there's been a theme in all of the media that's uh, been coming out, mainstream media anyway, that I've been following, is that it's been unbalanced in that it only contains comments from those opposed to e-cigarettes or vaping as harm reduction. Uh, So for example, here in Perth, I I was listening to our our local ABC on the way to work recently, and they had the president of the AMA on saying that, you know, the reason they need to make it a schedule four drug is that nicotine is a toxic and poisonous chemical. And I actually rang in to, 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 to see if I could c- contribute to the, the, the debate, but unfortunately um, they, they didn't have me on. Because the point I wanted to make is, um, as I just drop it, is you can go to, the, you can go to Woolworths and buy one of these nicotine um, uh, sprays, which contains that very same poisonous, deadly toxic substance that the AMA president was talking about. So it seems like there's some incongruence between in, in the policy here. If you can go to Woolies and pick up the nicotine there, uh, but you can't, you know, but you need a prescription to get the, the same very nicotine that goes in a vaping device. So there, there's that aspect to it. I, I think um, in terms of the lack of balance, uh, Oz, 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 I need to get the name right. Uh, it's the uh, Oz SMC is one of the main ways in which media get information from experts. So they collate comments from experts and, and push that out to media. So I was one of the experts that was put in the Oz SMC mail out recently, and I was the only person out of all of the people included that even had some support for uh, vaping as a a harm reduction method. And look, I would say that I was taking a moderate approach and probably I'd call it a pragmatic approach in that I was arguing that, you know, we want to make sure that this is accessible to Australians. Anything that we can do to reduce smoking of combustible tobacco is a good thing. The British Medical Society has shown that it's 95% less harmful than tobacco smoking. So this is genuine harm reduction. And so my position was that 
uh, it should be a Schedule 2 or Schedule 3. Um, so then it could be sold from a pharmacy without the need to get doctors involved. Uh, because, you know, despite what you were saying, Ash, about, you know, pharmacists not necessarily knowing enough about this, I think if there was a market, pharmacists would learn and they would be able to provide the information. And it's, it's a moderate approach and a pragmatic approach because it's somewhere in between what we've currently been given in terms of Schedule 4 and a GP prescription and it being completely unscheduled and, you know, you being able to buy something like this in Woolworths. So it was somewhere in the middle. So there was this lack of balance in the way the story had been provided. And I think another key thing that's been missing from all media reporting about this decision is I haven't seen a single piece of media that has interviewed a vaping consumer. So there's been no consumer input on any of this media. Um, just to want to um, reiterate that point that you were making, Steve. Uh, so I've got a packet here of uh, nicotine gum. Uh, two, milligram, uh, two milligrams of nicotine uh, per um, per piece of gum. So there's uh, 30 pieces of gum in here, so 60 milligrams of nicotine. The lethal dose for nicotine is for in humans is between 30 and 60 milligrams of nicotine. So theoretically, if I were to go and chew all of these against the instructions, of course, it tells you not to do this um, against the instructions on the back. But if I were to do that, I may end up in hospital or dead. This is something say- I bought off the shelf, not behind a counter off the shelf. I would say this device is actually more dangerous because it contains 300 milligrams of nicotine. If I open this up and a child were to drink that, they would die. Full stop. So it, it, and, and, and we haven't even uh, uh, sort of got to the, uh, the, other side, the other point, which I think is, is something that uh, I often see uh, missing in uh, reporting on, uh, on vaping, which is that vaping is essentially a competitive product to tobacco. And I can go in my five kilometre bubble right now, I can go to uh, half a dozen places to buy tobacco. Um, and because of where I am, there is actually one place that I can go to get vape products, um, but I'm, uh, I'm in an inner city area, so uh, it's much more likely to have a vaping store. Most people won't have that within their five kilometre bubble here in Victoria at the moment. So you can easily buy, buy a very dangerous product. And this, the, the only argument I hear about this is, oh, well, that's just, you know, it's historical which is not an argument. That's not rational. You are somebody that's a uh, current uh, user of, of vape or, or tobacco and you want to swi- uh, switch to vape, uh, the TGA are accepting uh, submissions uh, up until the 6th of November uh, on that issue. Uh, head to tga.gov.au uh, and look for the uh, scheduling decision interim. Uh, nicot- uh, notice interim decision, amend current poison standards relation to nicotine. Uh, and uh, you can find details there on how to make a submission uh, and uh, all of that. Uh, there at the TGA website. Um, and unless there's... Uh, oh, well, um, uh, Jack, thank you as well uh, for wrapping the news for us. We've uh, gone into more detail than we uh, than we have uh, before, um, but I'm hoping that we can, um, you know, uh, by, by doing so that we can uh, get you listening along or watching along to uh, start to start to see that uh, especially with drug issues including nicotine and tobacco um, we have a poor standard of general reporting in the mainstream uh, and that that's a that's a huge barrier uh, to to change uh, that will probably be well not probably I think it will be beneficial um, to hundreds of thousands of Australians yeah I mean I, I can Any final really do- comments. I can only really do so much, uh, you know, each week trying to put it all together. But I think having having you know two experts on the show to actually go really in detail and in depth about the stories that people are reading. I mean, it's so useful and it's so important. And I think actually I learned a lot from from uh, from hearing from Ash and, and Stephen. So yeah, it's 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 difficult because you know each week there's so many stories, there's so much different stuff going on. I think trying to keep on top of it all is just so difficult. And that's kind of you know why I'm putting together the wrap just to keep it all in one place and, and try and keep people. Focused focused on that kind of stuff but um yeah i think it's it's super useful super helpful jack Ravel is the editor of drugs rap a weekly newsletter which you can subscribe to at drugsrap.substack.com and uh dr stephen bright from aodmediawatch.com.au thank you very much and ash as well thanks everyone thanks nick thanks everyone 
and Psychedelia, 3CR, 855am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, which is the place to go to find uh, more information about everything that we've talked about. Uh, drugswrap.substack.com to subscribe to find uh, keep up to date with the uh, week in drug news. Uh, and do find us on social media as well. Get in touch with us if there's an issue that you think we need to be covering, that we need to be uh, taking a look at. Let us know. Uh, we've been doing this for five years. Um, like to be across all, all the things and like to find the right people um, to talk about these things as well. Maybe you're that person as well. Get in contact with us if you want to talk to us about something. Stay tuned to 3CR because Queering the Air is up next and enjoy your Sunday afternoon. For more information, visit Encycledalia.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Encycledalia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. Produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. You can hear Encyclopedia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.